Hey everyone, Greg Schutz here for readyforthedraft.com. This is the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'll tell you, it's hard to believe it's already episode 20 of the 2019 draft series. Middle of February already, just a couple of weeks away from the NFL Combine. And I'll tell you what, over the past week, look, last episode we talked about the first half of my, my mock first round. And really the game plan coming into this episode was to talk about the second half. But there's been so much that's gone on in this in this last week that we've got a lot of material to cover from Kyler Murray declaring he is all in on football and ultimately is going to be paying back some of his uh, his signing bonus there with the A's. Joe Flacco getting traded from the Ravens to the Denver Broncos. What does that do to the overall draft landscape? A lot of potential question marks, a lot of things that could be thrown up into the air there. And then Jeffrey Simmons. Definitely a polarizing figure already with the uh, pass that he has, kind of that checkered pass. You know, we know the simple assault that we talked about in last episode, but he tore his ACL in a pre-draft workout. He's going to have, have surgery over the next week. And what does that do for his draft stock? We're really in uncharted territory here. You know, usually you have someone who has had that checkered past or you'll have someone with the injury concerns, but he actually has both. So what does that do with his draft stock? A top 10, top 15 type player, what does that do? Is he still a first round pick? Does he fall to the late, you know, late first round? Is he going to be a guy, you know, Sidney Jones tore his, uh, his Achilles and ultimately was a, a second round selection? You know, and and you look at Jalen Smith, who was going to be a top five pick, ends up tearing his knee, and he wound up being uh, a second round pick. Miles Jack, possibly a, a fifth overall pick of the Jaguars, ends up you know going to the Jags in the second round. So, you know, that's going to be a, a a huge question mark. We'll have to talk about that, and really, what does that do about the the landscape there with with the draft? And, and what does that look like for the first half of the first round? So a lot of stuff to cover. Obviously, we want to get back to my mock draft as well. But the first thing that I really want to focus on is Kyler Murray. I think that's really the big question mark is what's going to happen with Kyler now that he's finally come out and said that he is fully focused on football, agreeing to pay back some of that signing bonus from the, the Oakland Athletics, who still have retained his rights. So in the event he decides later on that he wants to pursue baseball, the A's do have his rights. So Kyler Murray, you know, the most electric player in all of college football a season ago. That's why he won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, you know, when you look at his QBR, 96, you know, the highest since the QBR, uh, that, that stat was ever being, uh, was, you know, since since the, the inception of that stat. You know, when you think about that, that's, you know, what, 16 years of age now. So when you talk about... QBR and all the different quarterbacks that have gone through college football, Kyler Murray sitting there at the top of the at the top of the chart. And really, you watch him play, and you know I think Dan Patrick said it best. He, he was talking to Kyler uh, on his radio show and said, "You know what? You look like a guy who is uh, loves football and just likes playing baseball." And you know I, I think Kyler is getting a lot of. Uh, you know, a lot of heat about what he's what he's doing, but I firmly believe that what Dan Patrick is saying is is accurate with with Kyler Murray, and I think the fact that he is declaring for the draft really speaks to that. When you watch Kyler play, though, 
know, is he just a system quarterback? Is it just OU? We already have seen Baker Mayfield and his success. You know, a lot of is going to be talked about in this pre-draft process. He's under six feet tall. You know, how tall is he? We'll find out at the combine. He'll be there. Is he 5'9"? Is he 5'10"? Is he going to run the 40? Lamar Jackson didn't last year. Is Kyler Murray going to do that? You know, there are some question marks, but look, when we talk about the size, you know, in, in this day and age with, with the passing league and the fact that we're going to a lot more of the spread offenses, you see the success of Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, now Baker Mayfield. You know, there were concerns about Baker and his height. And, you know, Baker, again, still a couple of inches taller than, than Kyler. When you look at Kyler Murray, he was playing you know, behind one of the bigger offensive lines, Bobby Evans, Ben Powers, Creed Humphrey, Drew Samia, and Cody Ford. And, you know, at 5'9", 5'10", he was still able to make plays down the football field. So I, I don't know that height is necessarily going to be a factor. We see the game changing. We see a lot of these young offensive minds, Sean McVay now, uh, you know, and, and Matt Nagy. Now you have Zach Taylor, Cliff Kingsbury getting a job there in, in Arizona. So it's a changing league. And I don't think that his height is going to be much of a concern. You know, when you look at the stats, come on. 69% passer, over 4,300 yards, 42 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And here's what's crazy uh, 140 carries, over 1,000 yards, 12 touchdowns. Now, this kid did a little bit of everything. It, it was one of those things, um, you know, I, I saw, gosh, you know, I, I saw a report that people were talking about what Reggie Bush can, you know, what Reggie Bush did in, in college. And you watch Kyler Murray and the way that he runs, that Reggie Bush is a lot like, uh, a, light, a lot like him, you know, running the football. And, uh, you know, I would definitely say that he, he's about as explosive as it gets when you put the ball in his hands. Now, here's the issue. Obviously, when, when you have quarterbacks, you look at a lot of the running quarterbacks, Kyler Murray's not a running quarterback, first and foremost. You know, don't get me wrong there. You know, I'm not saying that at all. But here's the thing. Anyone any quarterback who has, you know, a tendency to to want to run at some point, you know, I don't care how dynamic or how fast you are, at some point that catches up with you, you you end up getting getting hurt and then you have to play within the confines of an offense. You have to play in the pocket, still being able to manipulate the pocket, get outside. Um so there there are those concerns, obviously, you know, when when you have a quarterback as dynamic as Kyler, but here's the deal. He's proven to be able to make plays within the pocket. You know, when he's inside the pocket, you know, being able to make subtle moves to avoid the rush, you know, keep his eyes down the field. That's one of the things he's still looking to throw the ball before he actually pulls the ball and runs. You know, he's looking down the field. He's extending plays, keeping those eyes down the field once again, and he he has the arm strength to to cut loose with it. I mean, this is a center fielder cutting cutting loose with the football, either hitting the cutoff man or, or throwing a dart to home plate. And the way that he moves with the foot with with the football, reminiscent of of a baseball player, and the way that he throws, changing the arm angles, uh, you know. And, and so when you watch him play, it's you know the 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 dual sport. You know, when you talk about players now being specialized in just one sport, the fact that he's played multiple sports, I think, you know, it really speaks to what he's able to do out there on the football field. I think what's going to be really crucial are the workouts, um, you know, and really the combine. You take a look at the height, you know, and, and weight and all of those good details. You know, how big are his hands? Is he going to be able to hold on to that football ball security issues? But really, it's going to be the interviews. It's getting him up on the board. You know, is he truly passionate about the game? 
Um, you know, being a guy that plays both baseball and football, um, where is the love there? And then, you know, how is he up on the board? You know, if he blows everyone away, look, I've got him sitting there with the Raiders at number four because I believe John Gruden, Mike Mayock, if you guys want to make a splash, you already saw what happened with Baker Mayfield, and you know how I feel about Baker. I said John Dorsey, and I try to fit this into just about every podcast. John Dorsey, if you wanted to change the losing culture in Cleveland, you'd draft Baker Mayfield. What happened? He did that, and you see what's happening there in Cleveland. Oakland would want to do something similar, and you look at Derek Carr, and uh, you know this kind of jumps into where I see Kyler Murray going, where some of the potentials. Derek Carr finished 27th with a, an overall QBR of, of 49. The only quarterbacks behind him, three of them were rookies, uh, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, and the other three are quarterbacks who likely are on the way out and potentially could be uh, landing spots for Kyler Murray. You know, and that's Case Keenum, Blake Bortles, and Ryan Tannehill. So when you look at that, and, and there are a lot of talk out there, you know, ex-Raiders, ex-players you know, talking about how Derek Carr is not the guy that's going to lead them back to prominence. If John Gruden firmly believes that, if Mike Mayock firmly believes that, then this could be where Kyler Murray goes. If it's not Oakland, then where, where would he go? Let's take a look at the Giants. Eli Manning, we we're talking about the QBR, 25th in QBR with just a 51.6. You know, I have him coming off, or I have the, the Giants taking Dwayne Haskins number six overall to ultimately um, you know, take over for Eli, you know, once Eli does hang it up. You know, Eli's a guy who, you know, he's had you know, the best year uh, in terms of completion percentage, you know, 66%. And then the, the 4,299 passing yards were the most since 2015. The 11 interceptions, the lowest total since 2008. So, you know, at the same time, this is a guy who was just getting hit repeatedly, 47 sacks, the most of his career. And, and we all know that father time is undefeated. So it's one of those concerns. Is Eli Manning going to be able to hold up? Only other quarterback on the roster now that Davis Webb is gone is Kyle Oletta. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I don't think that... Kyle Lalletta, you know, that's going to ensure any confidence. So I think Dwayne Haskins does make a lot of sense. You put him in there with uh, Saquon Barkley, Odell Beckham Jr., and Evan Engram. But if you have a chance to draft Kyler Murray, again, if you're looking to make a splash, you got that, you got Saquon in there, that's a potential landing spot. The Jaguars sitting there at number seven. Blake Bortles. You know, we, we pretty much know that he's out. Um, you know, the Jags struggled. You know, they, they put together a top five defense once again, but their offense was anemic. Um, Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator, was fired, and uh, Blake Bortles got benched in favor of Cody Kessler down the stretch. Now, Bortles, you know, we, he does have that three-year, $54 million contract that he signed prior to the 2018 season, owed $16 million in 2019, but I think now really has to be the chain, you know, the time to make that change under center. Um, you know, releasing Bortles next year would carry just a, a $5 million dead cap value. So what you, what you think about there is, you know, Tom Coughlin has to look for that, that quarterback. But is he going to look for the quarterback of the future in this draft? That's really going to be a big question mark. And I would argue that he won't. Um, you know, I, I, I don't see the Jags taking the quarterback. If they do, 
you know, Tom Coughlin's an old school guy. I don't see him actually going for a guy like Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray doesn't fit the prototypical pocket passer like a Dwayne Haskins does, uh, Dwayne Haskins or, or Drew Locke. So I don't know that Kyler Murray would be the right fit there with the Jags. But here's the deal, too. The Jags should be in a win-now win mode. They've got a top-five defense. That defense is not going to be around forever. You need a quarterback who can come in there and instill you know, some form of confidence with that, that overall offense. So in my opinion, they go offensive line. They, they address a, a line that was questionable at times throughout the season. And they get a guy like Jawan Taylor out of Florida. And the quarterback, look, get Nick Foles. Nick Foles, he's one of those those guys. You know, Phillip Rivers is is the regular season quarterback, a guy who is is dominant during the regular season, but just, you know, doesn't seem to be able to get it done in in the playoffs. Nick Foles is the opposite. Nick Foles will struggle mightily during the uh, the regular season, but is dynamic when we get towards the end of the season and into the playoffs. So, you know, really at the end of the day, if, if this is a win-now team, get Nick Foles, bring him in, and let's see what can happen. You know, if Nick Foles can make some plays, then the Jags have a chance to win the South and be a legitimate contender for the Super Bowl. That's really what's been missing there. So, I don't know that Kyler Murray would be the answer for the Jags. Ultimately, if they get a guy like Nick Foles, you know, then you know maybe the Jags aren't looking for a quarterback. Even though next year's quarterback class is going to be very heavy, um, you know, in terms of uh, guys like like Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa for for starters. The Denver Broncos. So I mentioned Joe Flacco and Joe Flacco's situation. So Joe Flacco if you haven't already heard, was traded to the Broncos by the Ravens. Ravens get a fourth-round pick out of the deal. Um, what What's really interesting here is the Broncos are taking on the, the three-year, $66 million contract that, that Flacco signed. You look at Case Keenum. Case Keenum, um, you know, $21 million cap hit. You know, there's 10 million in dead cap space there if they um, unload Case Keenum. So they have to find someone who's willing to to trade for him. And you know, you really wonder, you know, what the market is there. You know, is Case Keenum going to be a guy, you know, that Zach Taylor would be interested in 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 Cincinnati, backing up Andy Dalton? Do the Dolphins? If they're not satisfied with the quarterback class this year, do the Dolphins go after Case Keenum as a replacement for Ryan Tannehill and then look to next year to get their quarterback of the future? You know, a lot of question marks there with with that. So I, I think the Broncos, by bringing in Joe Flacco, we know who their quarterback will be for 2019. But is all of this still a smokescreen for John Elway to ultimately land his quarterback at 10. We all know Drew Locke is, is the guy that he's keeping an eye on. Is that ultimately what he's doing? You know, I know that they need a cornerback desperately right now. I still have him penciled in, at, you know, taking Drew Locke there at number 10. Um, but there's a good chance that with all of this at the end of the day, they go corner. They need a corner. Bradley, Bradley Roby, is a free agent. They need someone to pair with Chris Harris. 
Greedy Williams top corner in the draft makes a lot of sense. What they do in free agency will ultimately help us, you know, help dictate what that number 10 pick is going to look like. What if Drew Locke's off the board and Kyler Murray is sitting there at number 10 for John Elway? Former baseball player, elite athlete, tremendous arm, splash pick. John Elway, you know, he, he's had trouble finding that quarterback of the future. He missed, you know, with Brock Osweiler. He missed, you know, dramatically with, with pra- uh, Paxton Lynch. Is Kyler Murray going to be that guy? That's going to be a question mark there. Be interesting to see what John Elway does. The Bengals. So you're saying, well, the Bengals, you know, they already have Andy Dalton. You know, they have Andy Dalton, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when you look at it, if you break it down, $16.2 million. You know, if they did end up releasing Andy Dalton, that would free up all of that space. There's zero dead cap space there for, for the contract as well. But Zach Taylor's come out and said that they're comfortable with Andy Dalton as the quarterback. You know, we've seen the success that, that Zach Taylor has had with a quarterback like Jared Goff, kind of one of those castaway quarterbacks, and he was able to come in and kind of resurrect Jared Goff's career. I know that Jared Goff was only a, a second-year player, but still, he was headed towards being a bust, and everyone was already calling him a bust right out of the gate. So do you necessarily look at Andy Dalton and say he's not going to be there? You know, he was having a decent season until injuries really just decimated that whole team. And then he ultimately ends up going out on injured reserve as well for the injured thumb. So I don't know that Zach Taylor would pull the trigger on a quarterback, you know, let alone, uh, you know, Kyler Murray. You know, I, I, you know, I, I don't know that that happens. You know, really the big question mark is, you know, what are they going to do with Andy Dalton? What does that look like? Obviously, you know, no formal decisions can be made until until March. Um, but with Joe Flacco being traded, if there is a move to be had, you know, you might see Andy Dalton traded. But I just, I don't know that the Bengals would actually make that move. So I mentioned Miami, the Dolphins, Ryan Tannehill. We know that they're moving on. Um, from Tannehill, he's he's likely gone at this point. So, what do the Dolphins do? That's a team, I think. You know, when you're looking at quarterbacks, that's a team that's going to be desperate for a quarterback. And if the Broncos don't end up taking Drew Lock at number ten, and Drew Lock sitting there at number thirteen, the Dolphins absolutely will probably take Drew Lock. You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, during free agency period, are they going to make a trade for a quarterback? Um, you know, are they going to be a team that may not necessarily invest in a lot of you know high price free agents? You know, with a goal at looking at twenty twenty and a quarterback in the twenty twenty draft. Hello, Tua. Hello, Justin Herbert. You know, that'll be a, a big question mark there for the Dolphins. Could Kyler Murray be a be an answer there? I think that's always a possibility. You know, again, Kyler Murray being the dynamic quarterback. You know, but the thing with it is, is, is Miami, you know, their their head coach is a defensive-minded guy. It's, it's Brian Flores. So, you know, when you're talking about the splash picks and the splash picks from an offensive standpoint, 
um, you know, the Raiders and John Gruden, that makes sense. The Giants and, and, and Pat Shermer, that could make sense. Um, you know, the Broncos have Vic Fangio. Does he want to necessarily make, make the changes? Um, you know, the, the Band-Aids, you know, they've made the change with, with Joe Flacco. I still think that they end up going quarterback because he Vic Fangio has already come out and said, I think it was on Woody Page's show, that he told Woody that he doesn't want to just put a Band-Aid over the situation, that he's looking more long-term. What they may, The decisions that they make now are going to impact them you know, two to three years down the road. I think Drew Locke is still going to end up being their guy for for Denver. You know, so it'll 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 be interesting to see what the Dolphins do, but I don't I don't see them taking a quarterback in this year's draft. You know, I think they end up getting a quarterback that you know maybe it's Case Keenum, maybe it's uh, it's Nick Foles, but I I just don't see the Dolphins taking a quarterback in round one. I could be wrong, but I just don't know that that's going to happen. And then really the wild card here is Detroit. You know, Bob Quinn, the, the GM, came out and said that he'd consider a quarterback in round one, even with Matthew Stafford. Now, look, Matthew Stafford, you know, when we talk about him, he's he's a guy that, you know, you, you look at the, the contract that he signed and, uh, you know, it was a, a five-year, $135 million contract that expires at the end of the 2022 season. You know, he's 31 years of age, but his QBR finished him you know, 22nd overall. So obviously the quarterback play there has to improve. I look at Matt Patricia as the head coach, and we're talking about splash plays. Bob Quinn coming out saying, hey, I, I, I wouldn't rule out us taking a quarterback. Is that just really a play for Denver to potentially trade up to get their quarterback? Or Miami? You know, hey, you know what? This is a team that we weren't considering taking a quarterback. You're playing the odds. You know what? Maybe I, I do need to trade up in order to do that. You know, that's going to be a big question mark there. I just don't know that the Lions, why, why would they do that? It doesn't make any sense to me. You look at the defense. You know, Ziggy Ansah's gone. You need a defensive end. You already need a corner opposite Darius Slay. You know, so I think there are too many holes there for them to say, you know what, I'm going to you know, I already have Matthew Stafford, but, you know, I'm going to take a quarterback. Just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I think a lot of it is just basically a play to get some of the other teams thinking. So Kyler Murray, for me, I still feel pretty good about, about the Raiders, but I think the Giants could definitely be in play. I think the Dolphins would be in play. I think those are really the top three for me with, with Kyler, you know, I'd be surprised, you know, the Jags need a quarterback. I'd be surprised though, if he goes there, um, Denver, I think the Drew Locke makes a little bit more sense just based on what, uh, John Elway has done, um, you know, visiting Mizzou, spending a lot of time there was at the senior bowl. Um, you know, that just makes a little bit more sense for me that he's, he's invested so much time into Drew Locke. Um, you know, again, with all the the pre-draft process that we're going to be going through, he may fall in love with Kyler Murray. We just don't know that uh, just yet. The Bengals, the Lions, you know, those are still, you know, you've got Andy Dalton, you've got Matthew Stafford. I don't know that those are going to be the, the landing spots there for Kyler Murray either. But it'll be interesting. There's a lot to cover, you know, over the next couple of months. And Kyler Murray is going to be one of the more polarizing figures in this draft. So we'll have to keep an eye on that development. So Joe Flacco, we, we've talked about it already. You know, uh, the three-year, $63 million contract that, the, that Denver's bringing in. Case Keenum, as it stands, you know, that, that uh, 
that dead cap space is just sitting there, you know, staring at me right now. Ten million, um, you know, the twenty million dollar cap hit overall. Um, can't really get rid of him. Can't cut him. So you'd be looking at at making a trade somewhere. You know, really, what is his value? Is a team going to look at at Case Keenum and say, "All right, you know what? You know, I just don't know that there's the value there." You know, especially when you're looking at the at at what that contract is for for Case Keenum. Um, it'll be interesting to see what what Denver does. Because if you already have all that invested into the quarterback position, do you go quarterback? You know, Drew Locke. You know, is is he the answer? Does Denver roll with Flacco and Keenum, and then look at twenty twenty for their quarterback of the future? You know that that's a big question mark. I, I don't know what's going to happen there. Drew Locke, Greedy Williams. Look, Gre- Greedy Williams makes a ton of sense for me as well. Um, so I'll be interested to see what happens in Denver. And then finally, you know, we talked about Jeffrey Simmons before. Jeffrey Simmons, for me, you know, he, he's a top ten to top fifteen player when healthy. You know, Jeffrey Simmons. You know, is a guy just wreaking havoc on the interior of that line. You know, for for the Bulldogs, you know, Montez Sweat was there as the pass rusher, but I would argue that Jeffrey Simmons was the MVP of that team uh, defensively because Simmons repeatedly making plays on both sides of the football. He was somebody that if if you needed a guy who was going to step up and make a play. Um, you're expecting Jeffrey Simmons to be that guy. And, you know, he he delivered time and time again. 163 tackles in his career, 33 for loss, seven sacks, seven pass breakups, five forced fumbles. So those are kind of gives you an idea of the type of impact. So quick off the ball, um, the hands, his physicality, ability to get the, the burst up the field to affect the run play. Even if he's not the guy making the tackle, he's going to affect that that run play, force him, uh, force the run play wide, into the, the defensive end who's setting the edge, making a play there on the outside on the football. So Jeffrey Simmons, to me, on the field, makes a ton of sense. Off the field, you look at Jeffrey Simmons, and you know as, as I said previously, um, you know, Mississippi State gave him his second chance. You know, and... 2016, he was arrested for simple assault and disturbing the peace for striking a woman multiple times. There was a lot of controversy there because Mississippi State welcomed him, welcomed him into their community there in Starkville, and you know allowed him to enroll. He was a top top recruit, and since then, you know everyone's reported there that he's been that model student athlete. You know, and I, and I talked about it in the last podcast that defensive coordinator Bob Shoup, after Jeffrey Simmons tweeted about his, his experience following the fact that he was not being invited to the combine because of those red flags. And Bob Shoup said that, you know, this guy is the best player that I've ever coached. You know, and so how much was that going to impact his draft stock? You know, could he come off the board at, at number 14 to Atlanta where I had him penciled in? Absolutely. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of it is going to be teams doing their homework. And if Dan Quinn, you know, I, I felt that Dan Quinn, you know, would ultimately be be able to bring him in there. I think that would make a lot of sense. You know, he and uh, and, and Thomas Dimitrov. 
But now the ACL tear kind of clouds things a little bit. When is he going to be back? When is he going to be healthy? What type of damage do we have with that knee? You know, what was the long-term impact with his health? You know, we've seen a lot of guys you know, who have gotten injured, and it's definitely affected their draft stock. You know, I mentioned Sidney Jones, uh, the corner out of Washington, who was li- widely regarded as a first-round pick, and then tore his, uh, his Achilles. Sounds familiar, right? Me and my Achilles. Um, so I know what that's like. Um, during this pro day workout, March uh, 2017, ended up being a second-round pick. Contavious Street, you know, out of NC State, still a fourth-round pick after tearing his ACL during a private workout. Um, you know, obviously Jalen Smith, you know, famous for being a potential first rounder, ended up going number 34 overall in 2016 of the Cowboys. Jake Butt, you know, the tight end for the Broncos, he was another one, got injured in the bowl game and ultimately was a fifth round pick. So the question becomes, where does Jeffrey Simmons come off the board? A first round talent who gets injured, we see a lot of those guys, you know, I mentioned Miles Jack, another one sat out, uh, you know, sat out his, his final year dealing with that knee injury and, uh, you know, got taken in the second round. So history tells us that Jeffrey Simmons likely will be a second round pick because of this, this ACL tear. You factor in the fact that he won't be at the combine. So teams won't be able to talk to him there. Really, you're going to have to focus on a lot of the, you know, individual workouts per se really they're going to be interviews because he won't be able to work out a lot of that is going to come into into play where is he going to go you know in in that second round i figure that he's probably going to be a second round because his play on the field and the type of character that they've been saying since he's been been enrolled there he is an emotional player on the football field but they say that he's been a model student athlete so if he checks off all the boxes he's probably early to mid second round pick, you know, and I could see a team like Atlanta, if they don't, you know, if they don't go defensive tackle, uh, potentially trading up to get a guy like, uh, like, like Jeffrey Simmons, Um, you know, other guy, other teams that are looking for defensive tackles, Indianapolis, you know, I could see uh, the Colts definitely taking a a defensive tackle there in round two, um, especially if they're losing some guys up front. How about Minnesota, the Vikings? Pair Jeffrey Simmons and Linval Joseph together and see what happens. You know, that would be a lot of fun to watch. Um, the Chargers. Chargers could use a defensive tackle. You know, they, they've got Brandon Meebane, uh, Corey Legette, um, you know, has, hasn't been the same. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a chance that the Chargers might need that defensive tackle and maybe trade up to land a guy like, Jeffrey Simmons. So it'll be interesting to see, like I said, what happens. But all of this, everything that I've been talking about, plus the fact that, you know, the mock drafts, you put one together, and then the more you start thinking about it, you start looking at value. You know, what what's the value there? What's the guy's value? What makes the most sense? You know, is this guy, you know, from a value standpoint, is he like I, I look at Devin uh, Devin White, for example. I had him going number five overall to the Bucks. I said, all right, so where is he on the scale versus a Roquan Smith? You know, what makes sense there? 
Is he a guy who's going to be a difference maker like Roquan Smith? Is he a guaranteed bona fide top 10 pick? And if I started questioning myself at all, I need to re- reconsider things. So I, I made some adjustments to the to the mock first round, but my first four picks are still the same. Arizona taking jo- uh, taking I'm sorry Nick Bosa. Um, I think that makes makes perfect sense. A lot of people have talked about well Arizona should take Josh Allen or maybe they should take Quinn and Williams. You know, there's also the talk about well maybe they'll trade uh, Josh Rosen for Kyler Murray uh, for you know that those draft rights. At the end of the day, if you get a chance to get a, a pass rusher like Nick Bosa, you do it. Of course, that does lend the question. If they did end up taking Kyler Murray, you know, just hypothetically speaking, of course, San Francisco, you're on the clock. Do they take Nick Bosa? Which then means the Jets are sitting there. You know, if they're converting to a 4-3, maybe they need a defensive end. Maybe they go Josh Allen. Quinton Williams goes to Oakland. Or maybe the Jets want to team Quinton Williams with Leonard Williams and Josh Allen goes to Oakland. Then that opens up the door with Kyler Murray potentially sliding. The Giants, if they take Dwayne Haskins. Jags pass on a quarterback. Say Denver decides they want to take Drew Locke. Then Miami absolutely is in play for Kyler Murray there at 13. Or maybe they even trade up and get get Kyler Murray there. So a lot of things could potentially happen. That's the first domino that, that would need to fall. I don't see it happening. San Francisco taking Josh Allen. You know, you look at needing a running mate to go with DeForest Buckner. I think Solomon Thomas belongs inside. And uh, you pair uh, Josh Allen with uh, DeForest Buckner. I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, you could go Quinn and Williams, but you got to, you know, there's a lot of crowding going on on the interior of that line. Josh Allen makes the most sense. Jets at number three. Quinn and Williams, look, best interior lineman in this draft um, able to affect just about every play you need to know where he's at on the field at all times uh, blocking him one-on-one very difficult and you pair him with Leonard Williams who's going to finally be playing in the right position and he'll be playing at D tackle when he was playing five technique really out of position he's underperformed you get him there with Quinn and Williams and that could be a scary duo on the interior of that line for the Jets Talked about the Raiders and Kyler Murray. That's going to be you know my pick at least for this point or to this point. But Tampa. So you think about this, you know Dirk Cutter ultimately let go. Bruce Arians comes in. Now what does Bruce Arians do? Bruce Arians likes that deep passing game. You got J- Jameis Winston who's going to be behind behind center, right? So take a look at it. You know, that deep passing attack, it's predicated on protecting the quarterback and protecting Jameis Winston in this case. Left tackle Donovan Smith, he's entering free agency. Your right tackle, DeMar Dotson, he's now 33 years of age and he's entering the final year of his deal. Offensive tackle now becomes a glaring need, especially if Smith walks. Who's playing left tackle? Who's protecting your quarterback? Who's protecting his blind side? If I'm Bruce Arians, I gotta find a tackle. Who's that tackle going to be? Do you take Jawan Taylor? Jawan Taylor, to me, could very well be the top tackle in this draft, but he's not a left tackle. He's a right tackle. If you're ready to move on from DeMar Dotson, I get it, but who's playing left tackle then? Do you go Andre Dillard as a pass protector? 
you know, I, I think at the end of the day, Jonah Williams makes a ton of sense. 6'5", 301 pounds, technician, best offensive lineman in the draft. I've heard a lot of people say, look, it's, it's, it's Jawan Taylor, and, and he's a big guy, you know, and moves very well for his size. But I think Jonah Williams, so versatile, can play multiple positions. As a left tackle, I watched him against Cleveland Furl, and that that matchup was just a pleasure to watch. And Jonah Williams, I, to me, is is a left tackle at the you know at the next level. His his length, I don't think, will be an issue. And I think Jonah Williams will be a plug and play starter, and he'll be able to protect jo- uh, Jameis Winston's you know blind side. And I think that's ultimately why he would end up going number five overall. To me, that value makes sense. Number six, Dwayne Haskins to the Giants. We talked about that a little bit already. That makes a ton of sense. Jaguars, number seven. Mentioned a little bit about you know the fact that I don't think that Drew Locke is going to be the guy here. So I've changed things up. Jawan Taylor out of Florida, 6'5", 338 pounds. Why? So this line saw four different tackles on the left side, three on the right. You know, left tackle Cam Robinson went down with a season-ending injury. Should be back. I think he'll be playing left tackle. I don't think that that Eric Flowers or Corey Robinson, who are kind of the the stop gaps there at left tackle, I don't think either one of them will be back. Right side, uh, Jeremy Parnell's 32 years of age, entering the final year of his deal. He may not be back. You look at Will Richardson, fourth-round pick, injuries cut short his his season. He could be their right tackle of the future. But if A.J. Can is not expected back at right guard, I think what they could do is move Will Richardson into guard, have him play right guard, draft Jawan Taylor. You've instantly upgraded your offensive line, you know, just with that that one move. And Cam Robinson playing left tackle, you know, you've got three legitimate, uh, you know, uh, offensive linemen right there on your line that I think, you know, that upgrades that that unit as a whole. Um, you know, and Jawan Taylor, imagine Leonard Fournette, TJ Yeldon running behind, you know, an offensive line, you know, Cam Robinson on one side and Jawan Taylor on the opposite side. Scary stuff as long as they can stay healthy. So that then takes me to the Lions. You know, I talked about the fact that they needed a defensive end. You look at Matt Patricia, you know, and, and, and his top 10 defense, you know, the passing offense was, was struggling and, you know, he brings in Daryl Bevel. And Daryl Bevel ultimately um, going to upgrade that offense. You know, he's got Kenny Galladay as his number one wide receiver, carry on Johnson at running back. I think that Pat, Matt Patricia is going to look defense. Why? Man, Darius Slay, I said, you know, said it before, seven interceptions, you know, as a whole unit for the Lions last year. Darius Slay needs some help. Greedy Williams makes a lot of sense here. But the Lions, look, you've got a chance to get a top edge rusher. You got Ziggy Ansah, Romeo Okwara, Kerry uh, Hyder, all free agents. Okwara did leave the, leave the team with sacks with seven and a half, coming off a shoulder injury uh, that sidelined him for nine games. Hyder struggled to return to form off of that, that uh, torn Achilles in 2017. And then Ziggy Ansah, you know, what, what's he going to, you know, he's probably going to command some attention there in free agency, so he may not be back. You got a third round pick in Deshaun Hand who proved that he can be a keeper, but I don't know that he's he's a guy who's going to put a ton of pressure on the quarterback. You know, Matt Patricia needs to get some pressure there on the QB. 
Cleveland Furl makes sense, but Rashawn Gary. Here's here's the deal with Rashawn Gary. If he could ever live up to his potential, he could very well end up being the best player in this draft when it's all said and done. He hasn't lived up to his potential to that point. You know, and I've talked about that time and time again. If he does go in the top 10, it's based on potential and not production. I think at this point, the Lions could go either way there. But again, I think, you know, if you look at Rashawn Gary, 6'5", 281 pounds, seems to fit more in the style of Matt Patricia and, and, and his style of defense than Cleveland Furl does. So that's why I went with Rashawn Gary there, ultimately. So number nine, Buffalo. I take Jonah Williams off the board. And I think that they're going to look left tackle in the draft at some point. Maybe too high to take Andre Dillard. You know, this is a draft class, you know, with a tackle position. You got four or five tackles, uh, maybe six. And then there's a a huge drop-off from there. Maybe they do go Andre Dillard so that... Dion Dawkins can kick back over to the right side. But look, you got Josh Allen. You took him, uh, you know, in, in the top 10 for a reason. You know, and he flashed at times, you know, but it was really, you know, just a roller coaster ride uh, for Bills fans watching Josh Allen play. But look, you know, he finished the season, AFC Offensive Player of the Week, accounted for five touchdowns, threw for three, ran for two more. 42 to 17 win over Miami. You know, I, I understand protecting the investment. You know, and you could see them potentially, you know, if Juwan Taylor is sitting there at number nine, or yeah, at number nine, you know, that uh, that is a possibility there. You know, Jordan Mills, John Miller are free agents on the right hand side. Wyatt Taylor, uh, Teller, excuse me, and Vladimir Dukas split time in left guard. They were both underwhelming. So Jonah Williams, if he's there, makes a lot of sense. But if Jonah Williams isn't there, Jawan Taylor isn't there, and you don't want to draft Andre Dillard, maybe that's a little too high for him. Then you look at weapons for Josh Allen. Calvin Benjamin was underwhelming in 2018, so they traded him. Um, you know, and, and ultimately or I'm sorry, they, they released him. They had traded for him the season prior, ultimately to his release in, in December. Zay Jones, Robert Foster they were the leading receivers on the roster, but neither one of them is a number one wide receiver. You know, they don't really strike fear in opposing defenses. So, you know, in his two years, Metcalf showed that he had the size, the speed, and the ball skills to be a, a top wide receiver ta- target in this year's draft. Got a clean bill of health, and if you've seen the photos all over the internet, this kid is jacked. He looks just absolutely huge, and I'm curious to see what he runs at, at the combine because if he's running you know, sub four five, if he can even get it under four four, then he's absolutely a top ten pick and this makes a ton of sense. You could even see teams that, you know, could be stumbling over each other to try to take him even higher than that. Be interesting to see what happens and where DK Metcalf goes. But I think number nine right now, I think that's the right value for him. Number ten, I had Greedy penciled in, moved it to Drew uh, to Drew Locke. Even with Joe Flacco, I don't think it changes things. You know, at least not right now. What would it look like if Greedy did go number 10? Then I think Drew Locke is still on the board. I think Drew Locke ends up falling to, um, let's see. 
you know, Drew Locke at that point probably falls to Miami at number 13. Ed Oliver falls to 14 in the Falcons. Let's see. And then, you know, I, I've got Greedy going to Pittsburgh in my mock. So then at that point, you kind of adjust things a little bit and you'd have DeAndre Baker likely going to, to uh, Pittsburgh at that point. So a lot, a lot, a lot's still going to happen. We, we got to see what happens in free agency. And look, you know, there's a good chance that Denver looks to free agency to shore up that cornerback position. You know, it'll be interesting to see exactly what it is that happens. Number 11, I had them taking Cody Ford, the, the Bengals. You know, upgrading that offense, giving them some physicality that they didn't already have to, um, up front. But here's the deal with, with those linebackers. You know, Preston Brown, you know, playing in, in the middle, he's a free agent. And then there are concerns, you know, about the multiple concussions on Vontez Perfect, who's already a volatile player as it is. An athletic, rangy linebacker like Devin White out of LSU, that makes a ton of sense. That versatility to play inside and out. The range, is a, his football IQ, you know, seems to be all over the field making plays. I don't know that I'm, I would necessarily put him on the level with Roquan Smith, but I like that value there at number 11. So I made the change. Green Bay, I had had him taking Montez Sweat. But look, Cleveland Furl, if they fall to him, man, why wouldn't you go there? You know, why why not? You know, and that's one of the things that you really have to take a look at. You know, Pro Football Focus indicated that no Packer outside linebacker had over 30, play, uh, 30 pressures, and it took Clay Matthews 376 pass rush snaps to get to his 30. Seriously? You know, that that's one of the things, you know, in terms of the production. You know, they, they struggled getting to the quarterback. You know, Matthews played in, in all 16 games for the first time since 2015, but also tallied a career low three and a half sacks. His play, we've seen that sharp decline. And, uh, you know, the last time that he hit double digits sacks, 2014. So he's a free agent. He may be moving on at this point. Nick Perry, he's battled injuries in his entire career, has yet to play in every game. He's in the third year of a five-year deal, uh, $59 million contract following his first double-digit sack season in 2016. Last year, played in just nine games, finished with one and a half sacks. The one guy that has been kind of a, uh, a shining light for their, their pass rush has been Kyler, Kyler Fackrell, you know, a guy that I was really uh, you know, high, high on, ten and a half sacks. They need another edge rusher. And you put Cleveland Furl there, a guy who can set the edge against the run and uh, can get after the quarterback. 6'5", 265 pounds, Izzy. An outside linebacker in a 3-4 scheme, would that fit right? Would it make sense? Um, I don't know. I don't know if he would be the right fit or not. You know, I think that's one of the things that we're going to see over the course of the, of the workouts. And, uh, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the Packers are going to need to get a, a, an edge rusher here. Could they go safety? Not likely. Could they go offensive line, go Cody Ford? I think that's always a possibility. Adam Senovich, though, you know, give him the opportunity uh, to get in there, Brian Balaga, if he can stay healthy at the right tackle position, um, you know, and then looking at the right guard position there with Byron Bell upgrading, Cody Ford could could address both of those positions. So that's always a possibility there, if you know, if Cody Ford, um, you know, gets some steam there. But 
you know, pass rush, especially when if Clay Matthews is gone, you've got to address that. And you know, I think Cleveland Farrell will be too too much to pass up if he's there. So Miami at number thirteen. If everything shakes out the way that it has, Ed Oliver is still the guy. You know, to me, Ed Oliver is a top five talent. His lack of overall size at 6'1 and under 280 pounds may limit his scheme fit, which may make him slide. That's perfect for the Dolphins. You know, the Dolphins sitting there, you know, Brian Flores, defensive-minded head coach. You get a guy who is an interior pass rusher, can get after the quarterback. Uh, You know, Cameron Wake and and William Hayes, defensive ends, they're free agents. That leaves Robert Quinn, Andre Branch, Charles Harris as the primary edge rushers. That trio just combined you know, to, to register just nine sacks on the year. I mean, think about it, just nine sacks. You know, so adding a pass rusher um, could make sense on the outside. You know, could they potentially take Cleveland Furl or or Montez Sweat? Absolutely. But that interior presence that Ed Oliver Tate, you know, you know, makes, we see what that interior presence can do with what uh, Aaron Donald was able to do this, this past year. 20 and a half sacks. Is Ed Oliver on that level? Is he the t- same type of player? No. But my point is, is that interior style pass rusher can make a difference. And I think Ed Oliver going there to the Dolphins, Brian Flores would be ecstatic to get that guy. So the Falcons. I had them taking Jeffrey Simmons, the knee injury. I'm just shifting a defensive tackle up. And I got Christian Wilkins. I originally had Christian Wilkins going to Cleveland. I move him up there to Atlanta. Look. Christian Wilkins is a guy who's very, who's versatile, can play against the run, very quick penetrator into the backfield, disruptive, and uh, you know has a burst to collapse the pocket a- along the interior as well. You know, very versatile. If they decide they wanted to uh, run an odd man front, he can sit there and play a five technique. Um, he can play inside and you know play a three technique. Do a little bit of everything. Even if J- uh, Grady Jarrett is brought back, you put someone like Christian Wilkins next to him, it makes a ton of sense. Um, if Grady Grady Jackson leaves. Then absolutely, you know you've got to you know got to find his replacement. You know Christian Wilkins to me that's a no brainer. Redskins, hey, I had him taking DK DK Metcalf with DK Metcalf off the board. I think they have to look. You know, obviously, you know Nikhil Harry, you know, could potentially be in play. Kelvin Harmon, but look, you can get you know some receivers day two. There's enough depth in the wide receiver draft class. Ryan Kerrigan. You know, led the team in sacks with 13, you know, and, and I have this on my, you know, I'll be putting this on my website. Look, you know, he, he was a model of consistency, started 126 games in his career, makes him the active leader among outside linebackers in the league. Also just nine sacks shy of surpassing Dexter Manley for the all-time sack lead. So, you know, he, he's racking up sacks, but he's getting help from his defensive line. You know, Josh Allen with eight and a half sacks. Matt Ioannidis, seven and a half sacks. Deron Payne with five sacks. They proved to be effective in getting after the quarterback. But then you look at Preston Smith, um, who's a free agent. He underachieved just four sacks. Um, You know, he's not expected back. And then you look at Ryan Anderson. He battled a hamstring injury this past season. He was a 2017 second-round pick. Expanded role in 2019, but look, he's more of a a thumper, a guy who's going to be physical. I think he's going to be a huge presence against the run. He's not a pass rusher. Montez Sweat. You put him there and pair him up with with Ryan Kerrigan. I think you really have something there uh, to work with, and so I think that'll be interesting. Uh, interesting dynamic if you put the two of them together, Montez Sweat, uh, to the Redskins. And then finally, number sixteen, I had Jawan Taylor um, actually going all the way to sixteen with Carolina again. 
when you're talking about the, the value, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. Trying to figure out what I'm going to do, you know, with, with Carolina, Andre Dillard makes a ton of sense here, you know, addressing that, that left tackle position, Matt Khalil injured again. Um, you have a right tackle and Daryl Williams, you know, tore his knee, finished on IR. He's a free agent. Um, you know, you also have, you know, future first ballot hall of famer, Julius Peppers, um, ultimately retiring so you could potentially see you know uh, really trying to address his his replacement um you know someone who's gonna be playing opposite mario addison so if montez sweat falls that could potentially be a, a landing spot for for sweat but as it stands the way that it shakes out right now ryan khalil you saw the impact that ryan khalil had in his 12 years in the league with the with the Panthers, you know the injuries kind of ultimately forced him to to call it quits and and retire. But having that that guy that that you know to really solidify and be the rock for that offensive line, you got a chance to take Garrett Bradbury, the Remington Award winner, the top center in the draft. And when you talk about a reach block, you know this guy is a machine when it comes to the reach blocks. Converted tight end, very athletic. I think a guy who can get to the to the to the next level gets that snap, squares up his man, um, easy bender, you know, very flexible, and uh, you know I could see him being the next Ryan Khalil and starting there for another dozen years. So I've got Garrett Bradbury, kind of a surprise, but I have him as penciled in there at number sixteen. So that is my updated first round. So there are some changes to it from what I did you know previously. So then that, you know, what does that do for the rest of the first round? Well, Cleveland, if I take Christian Wilkins off the board, then the big question becomes, John Dorsey, what do you do now for an encore in the first round? You took Baker Mayfield number one overall. You took, you know, Denzel Ward number number four overall. Even with Bradley Chubb sitting out there, you know, just kind of staring you in the face to pair with Miles Garrett. Do they go corner again? You know there are some concussion concerns with Devin White or Devin. I'm sorry, Denzel Ward. You look at the uh, the rest of the corners there. Um, you know, Brian Body, Body Calhoun and, and EJ Gaines. They're both uh, free agents. Could they be coming back? You know, that's going to be a, a a big question mark there for the Browns. Additionally, they're at the position though. You have. Uh, T.J. Carey, you have Terrence Mitchell. There is some depth at the position. There isn't a, a blockbuster guy. You know, could Greedy Williams go? It's possible, but I think they ultimately look elsewhere. And I think they really have to look at the offensive line, uh, that left tackle position. Greg Robinson is a free agent. I don't think he's coming back. Desmond ha- uh, Harrison, you know, out of uh, West Georgia. I think he's raw. I think he needs to put on some size. Um, He's not a, a starting left tackle in the league right now. Andre Dillard out of Washington State, 6'5", 306 pounds, best pure pass protector in the draft. I think he makes a ton of sense. I mean, you look at, at, at Andre Dillard, and you saw what he did at the Senior Bowl, just effortless with this kick slide. Um, another easy bender, easy mover, very quick feet. Not the most physical guy. When you think about what type of offense did he run in college, and that was Washington State's spread offense, you know, in that that air raid, you know, Mike Leach, 
you got Gardner Minshew back there. You know, a lot of it was predicated on getting the, rid of the ball quickly. Um, but Garrett, you know, Gardner Minshew was also a very good athlete. So when he would escape the pocket, you know, you look at Baker Mayfield, there are some comparisons there. And I, I think to me, you, you put in Andre Dillard, he's a day one starter. You've got really good line play on the interior with, with Joel Batonio and, and Kevin Zeitler. Then, you know, what do you do with the right tackle position, Chris Hubbard? You know, that's a decision that they'll have to make. But uh, I think that really solidifies that offensive line. I think Dillard's going to be the pick there at number 17. Number 18, Minnesota Vikings. Oh, boy. What, what does Minnesota do here? I mean, you know, they had the, the fifth-ranked defense, finished third in the league versus the pass, racked up 50 sacks, you know, which tied them for, for third overall with Chicago. Then you look at the offense, finished 20th overall and 30th on the ground. Offensive line obviously has to be addressed. What are they going to do there? Um, what does that look like? Look, you know, Brian O'Neill, I think he showed some promise at right tackle. He's going to be the future there. Pat Elfline is, is a center. He's holding that position in the middle of the, of the of the offensive line. Mike Remmers, look, he was a right tackle. They tried to move him inside. That didn't work. He's probably going to be released at that point. Um, Riley uh, Reef, you know, the left tackle, you know, he may be moved inside to guard this year. Um, you know, so they, they don't have the luxury of being able to pull the trigger to get rid of, uh, of Riley in this case. Um, so I think they move him inside though. Um, that's a definite possibility. There's a lot of rumors that that may happen. Either way you look at it, you know, this pick, if, if Andre Dillard's on the board, I think Andre Dillard is the guy. Um, but Cody Ford, man, if you get a chance to get Cody Ford, the versatility there, um, being able to play guard and tackle. I talk about it, you know, on, on the site, you know, uh, there's a good chance that Cody Ford won't be around when Minnesota selects at number 18. I don't know that his draft stock is quite that of, of recent top 10 guards and, and Brandon Sheriff and, uh, and Quentin Nelson. If the Bengals at 11, Packers at 12 don't select him, then the Vikings could ultimately have him fall on their laps. And if that happens, Cody Ford will absolutely change that mentality of that offensive line. Very, you know, finesse type group. Man, this guy's going to be bring the nasty. He's going to bring the pain. You know, he's a guy who wants to maul you. Very physical, um, very efficient as a blocker. You know, he had to block for, for Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. So, I mean, in terms of the discipline and, and keeping the quarterback clean and keeping the quarterback upright, you know, that's what Cody Ford is all about. So I, I think that makes a ton of sense if he falls there at number 18. Again, may not be on the board. We'll see what happens there. Number 19, Tennessee Titans. And Mike Rabel, first year as head coach, 9-7 and seven record for the third consecutive season. Defense, you know, very, very efficient against the pass. Finished eighth in, in yards per game. But you look at Brian Arakpo, he retired. Derek Morgan's a free agent. You know, adding another uh, edge rusher like uh, Ja'Kai Polite to team with uh, Harold Landry is definitely an option. Could they potentially find a running mate for Jarrell Casey? Yeah, that's always an option. You know, you could see, you know, Christian Wilkins potentially as, as that guy. Um, play that five technique in a 34 defense. Makes some sense. But I think the Titans have to address the offensive side of the football. Look, jury's still out on whether Marcus Mariota is going to be the answer in Tennessee durability has to be a concern. This guy's yet to play an entire season through his first four years in the league. And we throw more interceptions than touchdowns, 27 to 24 in the last two seasons. 
has a number seven running game at his disposal with Derrick Henry enjoying his first thousand yard season. Corey Davis is emerging as his go-to target on the outside. And you got, you know, Tajay Sharp and, and Taiwan Taylor who are, um, you know, good role players. They don't have a number two wide out on the team. I don't think, um, you know, Nikhil Harry, Kelvin, Kelvin Harmon, definitely options here, but I'd argue, man, you look at that tight end position, you know, Delaney Walker, Broke his ankle, sustained ligament damage in the first game of the season last year. Walker's going to be 35 years of age when the season starts. So, look, at that age, you know, I'm, I know from from experience myself dealing with this Achilles injury that I'm dealing with right now. He, he's not, you know, he may very well lose a step, you know, being as, you know, at, at his age, you know, with, with that injury and the lim- ligament damage. You know, and, and if Delaney Walker... You know, that production that they've enjoyed so much there may need to be replaced. You know, obviously they look inside first. You know, Jonu Smith, Mile, uh, Michael, um, you know, Pruitt, and Anthony Ferkser, sure. They had all, all had their moments. None of them are a proven number one option at tight end. You got the, the Mackey Award winner, TJ Hawkinson, sitting there, who was the most complete tight end in the draft. You'll hear people talk about Noah Fant and his his athleticism, you know, and and you know that's nice. When you have a guy who can block as well as T.J. Hawkinson, you know, in the running game, and for Mariota, keeping him clean and upright, and then being that vertical threat, especially up the seam, working the middle of the field, you know, if you've got Davis on the on the outside and you've got Sharp and and uh, and Taylor you know, work in the slot, you know, you get another receiver at some point in the draft or possibly in free agency, you throw, you know, TJ Hawkinson as your number one tight end. Sure, you may have Walker for another year or two. You got John, John New Smith, who'd be a good number two tight end um, for the future. But man, there, there's a chance TJ Hawkinson could be a top 15 pick. He could end up coming off the board as high as, as, as number 12 to the Packers. I mean, there's even a chance that the Lions... If they want to improve that, that that passing attack, they lost Eric Ebron. They need another tight end. Could they go with TJ Hawkinson at number eight? I doubt it. But there's a there's a possibility that it could happen. Cincinnati sitting there at number 11. They need a tight end. Look, I know I'm getting ahead of myself there and I'm getting a little get, getting a little carried away. The tight end draft class is very deep. I can see them going second or third round and still getting a quality tight end in the draft. Tennessee, though, look, with with what Delaney Walker has meant to that organization, finding his successor has to be a big deal. Hawkinson's my pick. Steelers, number 20. Could Gree Williams really fall this far? You know, is he a top 10 pick? I think there's definitely a possibility that, that Greedy Williams is a top 10 pick. I was racking my brain. Is he a, a Marshawn Lattimore you know, is he a, a Denzel Ward? You know, where does that fit? You know, Denzel Ward was number four overall pick. And before the concussions, he was showing every bit to be, um, you know, the value that, that John Dorsey had evaluated him at. Marshawn Lattimore, people had him as a top 10 pick. He ended up going just out of that at number 13. Is Greedy Williams, you know, he's the most most athletic. He's 6'2", 184 pounds. Here's the issue, though. You know, 19 pass breakups. You know, had six interceptions as a as a freshman. And those 19 pass breakups were in in you know over the course of his two years there in uh, in Baton Rouge with 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 LSU. But 
you know, there, you know, there's, there is a lot to like, you know, I, 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 I can't diminish that, you know, the, the fact that, you know, the recovery speed is, is phenomenal. The length is ridiculous, you know, and I, I keep talking about the post pass, you know, uh, Georgia, uh, he was beaten on the route and the way that he was able to make up the distance, close on that and make a play on the football was ridiculous. But he's so handsy. You know, there are a lot of plays that are made in front of him. So handsy. He wants to get his hands on the receivers. And, you know, he's going to be have to, you know, break him of that habit. Is he an elite corner at this point? That's really the question that you have to ask. And I don't know that, that he's the guy that, when you look at the corner draft class, I usually end up grading the corners down. And then a lot of the corners end up popping back up, um, you know, in the top 15 picks. I don't know that Greedy Williams is necessarily going to to be a top 10 pick, though. And if the draft shakes out the way that I have it penciled in, then number 20, he has to go to the Steelers. Look, the Steelers, you know, let's take a look at what the Steelers have here. You know, it was really kind of a tumultuous season. You know, Le'Veon Bell sits out the entire season. Antonio Brown had trouble with Big Ben. Mike Tomlin now ultimately, you know, is asking to be traded. But you had the likes of James Conner, Juju Smith-Schuster stepping up on the offensive side of the ball. Ben, Big Ben not slowing down. Offensive line only gave up 24 sacks, which is good for fourth fewest in the league. Ultimately, turnovers killed him with 26. You know, that's why uh, you know Pittsburgh struggled was really the, the turnovers. But defensively, you know, the end of the season ranked in the top 10 in total yards per game. Rush defense, pass defense, and sacks. But the defense lacked playmakers generating just 15 turnovers. Now, if there are 26 turnovers on offense and only 15 generated by the defense, that's a turnover ratio of negative 11. That was a big reason for Pittsburgh's downfall at the end, end of the day. They haven't been able to replace Ryan Chazier on the football field. Um, John Bostic, Vince Williams, they're the ones that are holding down the starting spots. If you could add Devin Bush or Mac Wilson here, I think they get that athletic playmaker who can play, you know, cover a lot of ground. But, you know, if you're talking about playmakers, you look at that cornerback position that accounted for four of the eight interceptions on the year. Joe Hayden picked off two of those passes, added another 12 passes defended. Joe Hayden's going to need help. Cody Sensible, Mike Hilton, they're free agents. Job falls on Artie Burns. First round pick in 2016. His play has dropped off tremendously in 2018. Failed to pick off a pass had just one pass breakup. That lack of production is not going to get it done. We've been talking about Steelers not taking a corner for so long. They finally do in the first round. They take Artie Burns, and you see what what the production or lack thereof has been. You get a chance to take Greedy Williams. You get a chance to take DeAndre Baker. You get a chance to take Byron Murphy. You take him. You have to. Inside backer, I'm looking in free agency. You know, no no disrespect to to Devin Bush, no disrespect to to Mac Wilson at number twenty. That should be a cornerback. You get a difference maker there to pair with Joe Hayden, and that solves a lot of your problems in terms of playmakers on the outside. Greedy Williams could absolutely be that guy. Seahawks at number twenty one. Really a tale of two halves of the season for Seattle, right? Through ten weeks, Seattle four and five, visions of the playoffs basically disappearing but then they go go on to win six of the last seven games finish 10 and six 
secured a playoff spot for the seventh time since 2010 under Pete Carroll. And, and here's the deal. You know, Pete Carroll's success in Seattle has largely been, been predicated on, on having a top-tier defense. Defensive decline started in 2017, ranked 11th in total defense, finished outside of the top 10 for the first time since 2010, which was Pete Carroll's first season there um, with the Seahawks. In 2018, dropped another five spots to number 16 overall. That downward turn has to change if they want to return to that level of success. Now look, Earl Thomas, really the last of the vaunted Legion of Boom secondary. I know Cam Chancellor still on the roster, but you know with with the neck and injury and everything, um, you know really the last is Earl Thomas. Finding his replacement is a must. Deion Thompson, Nasir Adderley, definitely possibilities. But look, Deion, uh, you know Deontay Thompson exposed the second half of the season. I thought his play really really dropped off. To me, I think he's more of a second rounder at this point. Nasir Adderley. You watch him play, and a lot of the plays that he was making at the FCS level, I mean, he looks like he could be a, a top 10 pick. And you remember you know, Carl Joseph got drafted by the by the Raiders early in in, in the first round, you know, not so long ago. Nasir Adderley could be a guy that, that could really jump out there, but you look at the FCS play, you know, there were some some technique issues. Um, you know, really took advantage of his athleticism and the fact that he was playing against inferior talent and really the quarterback play. You know, you saw it at the Senior Bowl, you know, got baited a lot more. So to me, Nasir Adderley is also a second-round pick, which means Seattle could definitely focus on a corner. Adding a long, athletic corner to team with Shaquille Griffin, that should be a priority. Greedy Williams, Trayvon Mullen, that definitely, they both fit the bill. Trayvon Mullen, likely a second-round pick, though. Um, so that's a, potentially a direction that they could go. You also have Lonnie, Lonnie Johnson. You have Joan Williams. Are they first-rounders? I don't know if they're first-rounders, but I think they could definitely come off the board in round two, and, and Seattle can definitely get one of those corners. So where do they go? What do they do? Well, what do they do with Frank Clark is really the biggest issue. Are they going to franchise Frank Clark 13 sacks a season ago? You know, he is a free agent. He's going to command some big money out there right now. You look at the trio of, of Deion Jordan, Quinton Jefferson, Brandon Jackson. They combine for just five and a half sacks. They're also free agents. You know, they may or may not ever bring them back. So when Seattle was at its best, you had the duo of Michael Bennett. You had Cliff Averill. They were the guys that were wreaking havoc coming off the edge. A top edge rusher has to be a priority. And I look at Ja'Kai Polite. That could be the guy. Most people look at Polite's frame. They say, hey, look, he can only be a 3-4 outside linebacker. But look, they said that about Bruce Irvin, right? In the 2012 draft, Seattle wound up taking him 15 overall. So Seattle likes to go against the grain with a lot of their picks. We saw that with Rashawn Penny um, a season ago. You know, And Rashawn Penny, um, likely you know, people were figuring early second-round pick, really a surprise. You know, we, We've seen them you know, make a lot of other decisions that you know, really took you by surprise. Ja'Kai Polite, 6'2", 242 pounds. You know, Bruce Irvin was not that much bigger. He's a, he's a guy that can come off the edge and, and can affect the passer. I think Seattle, even if you do take Frank Frank Clark and, and you franchise him or you throw the big money at him, if you get a chance to get a guy like Ja'Kai Polite, you take him. Ravens, number 22 overall. I guess with, with Joe Flacco being traded, it really truly is the Lamar Jackson era, right? 
still has some work to do as a passer. Completed just 56.2% of his passes, but you want to talk about being dynamic with the ball in his hands. He was the number two rusher for the team, 695 yards, five touchdowns on the ground. They need to add some playmakers around him. You know, they also need to get younger on defense. Terrell Suggs, 36 years of age, entering free agency, likely gone. Eric Weddle's 34 years of age and entering the final year of his deal. So you could see an edge rusher, you know, if Polite's off the board, then Brian Burns of Florida State is a possibility. A safety like Deontay Thompson or Nasir Adderley, definitely possibilities. You know, you look at C.J. Mosley. If he walks, then Devin Bush and Mac Wilson suddenly become, you know, candidates here, absolutely. You know, you look at Baltimore in the running game. You know, led by an undrafted rookie, Gus Johnson. 718 yards and only really was a factor after the bye week. You know, and this was a team that really kind of a running back by committee over the last few years. You know, Kenneth Dixon at Louisiana Tech. Look, you know, he was a back. Um, he will be back. Carried the ball just 60, 60 times, um, but he did have 5.6 yards per carry. That was tops among the backs, you know, there for the Ravens. Alex Collins, uh, Buck Allen, Ty Montgomery, all free agents. Good chance that they won't be back. Edwards, you know, he finishes the year with with three 100-yard performances, but he's really a downhill runner. If you can add a playmaker like Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, guy who runs with power, also has the agility, uh, can make people miss in the open open field, can definitely catch passes out of the backfield, I think that would definitely be enticing. Let's wait a bit in the offseason and see what the Ravens do with the running back situation before we consider possibly taking Jacobs here. Which then moves on to the wide receiver position. Michael Crabtree, Willie Sneed, John Brown combined to haul in 158 passes, uh, nearly 2,000 yards, and nine touchdowns in 2018. Crabtree and Sneed, they're really complementary players. And wherever they've been, they've been the number two, the number three guy. They're not a number one. John Brown, he's a free agent as well. Receiving core has really been lacking that true number one wideout. I think Marquise Brown should get a look here because he has that vertical capability with the speed. But look, you know, I, I think Kelvin Harmon, to me, is, he, he looks a lot like like a number one wideout. He's a guy that I, I've, I've really enjoyed watching early on in the season. I, I kind of got on him a bit, moved him out of my top five, or top ten, because he was letting some balls get into his body. You know, this guy really is a hands catcher. He attacks the ball in the air. The body control, his ability to get vertical, the route running ability. Really curious to see what he runs in the 40. Um, as, you know, same thing with uh, Arizona State's Nikhil Harry. Nikhil Harry is, is a guy, you know, back-to-back, 1,000-yard seasons, um, excellent body control, Odell Beckham style, reaching behind him um, to make a play against USC as he was heading, you know, falling towards the ground. Uh, incredible catch. You know, the body control is insane. But, you know, a lot of the separation for him, it's kind of late separation. You know, it's, it's one of those Alshon Jeffrey, I may not have this guy beat, but I'm going to create some late separation and get that distance away from uh, um, from the defensive back. Kelvin Harmon does the same thing. I think Kelvin Harmon, in terms of his route running ability, a little bit better than, than Nikhil Harry. Again, let's see what happens at the combine. Um, you know, I think that's really going to tell a lot in terms of, you know, really separating these receivers. But right now I've got Kelvin Harmon penciled in there at number 22. 23, Houston, the Texans. Man, a 1-3 start. Finished the season 11-3. and 
nine game win streak from from week four to week thirteen. Bill Bryan has to be happy. You know, you look at Deshaun Watson, over 4,100 yards passing, completed nearly 69% of his passes. DeAndre Hopkins was dominant. You know, 115 receptions, over 1,500 yards. Um, But here's the deal. You know, Deshaun Watson and his health has to be the biggest concern. You know, I, I wrote that there's a chance that they can take a corner. You know, Kareem Jackson, Kayvon Webster are free agents. Kevin Johnson, Jonathan Joseph entering the final years of their deals. Byron Murphy, DeAndre Baker could potentially be in play. Jadavian Clowney enjoy it. You know, he's one of the biggest names in free agency. He's going to command some big, uh, some big, um, some big money there. Uh, adding another edge rusher could be a possibility um, sitting right there. Um, so that's a potential there for Houston, but. If Deshaun Watson was sacked 62 times, count it, 6-2, most in the league, hit 126 times, more than any quarterback, you know, when you've got a guy who, you know, had to deal with, uh, you know, torn, two torn ACLs, once in 2014 as a true freshman at Clemson, and then once again as a rookie in 2017, bruised his lung, injured his ribs playing this season, this kid, you know, you've got to keep him upright. You've got to keep him healthy. You know, Julian Davenport, you know, Roderick Johnson, Chantrell Henderson are the tackles currently on the roster. They need a tackle. If Andre Dillard is there, and I think they absolutely have to take Andre Dillard, best pass protector in the game, or um, in um, this draft class, in my opinion, best pure um, pass protector. But then there's Greg Little. You know, 6'6", 325 pounds, a guy whose motor I thought ran hot and cold, but there are times when he was out there against some of the elite pass rushers, and this guy not only held his own, he dominated. You know, he did against Alabama, you know, get get bull rushed back into the quarterback a little bit. You know, and again, that motor runs hot and cold, but, you know, this guy, when you look at him, he's the best pure left tackle. I mean, from the height, the size, the length, you know, he checks off all the boxes. And if he can play to his potential, you know, then I think Houston's got their left tackle of the future. Oakland sitting there at number 24. They've got three first-round picks. And when you think about it, what what, what could happen? They get their, their pass rusher there at number four if, if they don't go Kyler Murray. Pass rusher at number four. They get a wide receiver and a running back, you know, at 24 and 27. Definitely a possibility. But even if Kyler Murray comes off the board at number four, then you look here, you're taking a, a pass rusher and you're taking a playmaker, whether it's a receiver or running back. So 24, this is the pick that they got from Chicago. You know, it's part of the trade uh, that sent Khalil Mack there. So they, they need to fill that void that was left by Mack, you know, by, by Khalil Levin. 13 sacks from a season ago. I mean, that's embarrassing. Only 13 sacks. The next closest team after that had 30. So that's a big, you know, 17 sack difference. I mean, that's pretty embarrassing if you ask me. You know, when you have guys that are sitting here towards the end of the draft, you know, uh, end of the first round, I should say, you've got Ja'Kai Polite. You know, Brian Burns from, from Florida State is a possibility. He's more explosive of the two coming off the edge, I think. But, you know, 235 pounds, He's more than likely going to be a 3-4 outside linebacker. He does have some of the pass rush moves. You know, you see the chop, the rip, the, the spin moves. 
he does a little bit of everything, but I think he's a second round guy at this point because, you know, to me, I look at him and he's more of a situational pass rush guy. He's not a guy who's going to be able to play every single down, but he can definitely get after the quarterback. So that said, Oakland at number 24, what about Sack Daddy himself? Jalen Ferguson, 6'5", 262 pounds, out of Louisiana Tech, broke Terrell Suggs' FBS record for sacks in a career, um, you know, registered 15 in his senior campaign, and uh, 62 total tackles for loss in his career. I mean, this is a guy who knows how to get to the quarterback. He's very physical, you know, that, that speed, to, uh, speed to power, gets off the ball, and just will maul guys. You know, they're just bull rushing, running over guys, throwing people down, violent hands at the point of attack. You know, not as bendy as some of these other offensive or uh, pass rushers, but look, you bring him in, he's going to be a guy who's always going to be working and a guy who I, I think we've only seen him scratch his potential, you know, just begin to scratch the surface on his potential. I, I, I watch him play and, you know, I, I remember last season, he he looked a, he still looked a little raw. You know, I saw a lot of arms flailing when he was trying to get to the quarterback. Didn't always see you know like a tight spin. You know, with the spin moves. This year, he looks ready. He looks hungry. And is he going to be a first round pick? You know, that's a big question mark to me. This this is a guy who could be a sleeper. And you know, you look at Mike Mayock. He may be looking at this guy saying, you know, what, I can take my quarterback because he's kind of my ace in the hole later on, and that's a guy that I could target. Philly, number 25. What are they doing here? Well, Eagles, you know, they, they enter the playoffs with Nick Foles. We know Nick Foles is gone. Um, Carson Wentz running the show. That running game, you know, they were, were, were a disappointment, I think, there in the playoffs down the stretch. Um, you know, running back by committee, Corey Clement, Darren Sproles, Wendell Smallwood, Josh Adams, Jay Ajayi, all split time at the position. Sproles and Ajayi, and Ajayi, keep in mind, coming off of an ACL tear. They're free agents. Remaining running backs, look, they're not, they're not carrying the load. Josh Jacobs could potentially be the pick here. But do you realize that the Eagles haven't drafted a running back since Keith Byers was selected number 10 overall in the 1986 draft? I don't see Philly changing that focus. I think they look defense and really building up from the trenches. And that's kind of been the trend for them uh, recently, and I think they continue to do that. You know, that defensive tackle position, you know, and I wouldn't rule out a corner here either. Potentially Byron Murphy makes a lot of sense. But uh, Haloti not as a free agent. Timmy Jernigan, you know, his future's up in the air following that non-football-related injury in March. Caused him to have a herniated disc in his back. Didn't return until November, and now his contract was reworked. All three remaining years of his contract um, are option years, no guaranteed money. Even if he returns, there's no depth behind you know, Fletcher Cox. Um, Dexter Lawrence is a big defensive tackle. 6'5", 340 pounds. I think he's proven that he can play in an on-man front. He can also play in a 43 defense. And uh, you pair him up with Cox, who is an interior pass rusher, You know, also pretty adept at playing the run. But I think you get Lawrence in there next to him at size, the ability to take on multiple blockers, 
that kind of balances things out on the inside. I think that actually would be a nice fit there for the Eagles. So there's a chance they could go quarterback. I think they can go second round and still be just fine. Um, but getting a guy who can make a difference on the defensive side of the football, I think that's uh, that's a move that they have to make. 26, Indianapolis, the Colts. Man, Frank Reich, really an impressive rookie campaign as head coach. He was kind of the afterthought as the, as the, the head man, right? But, man, you took a 1-5 team to start out the season and somehow found a way to make it to the playoffs. I mean, nine wins in their final ten games. Uh, Andrew Luck, incredible comeback player of the year. A guy who, you know, his health was in serious doubt. I mean, he wasn't throwing a football um, for quite some time after that, that shoulder injury. So let's let's break things down a little bit for him. T.Y. Hilton, Eric Ebron, they combined for 142 receptions, over 2,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, right? Beyond that, you know, Naeem Hines, the, the rookie running back, the change of pace back, showed off his wide receiver skills, you know, 33, uh, 63 passes, uh, 425 yards, pair of scores, you know, coming out of the backfield. But then from there, there's a wide receiver foursome. It's kind of interesting. All four of them. Um, just right there in the mix after that. And, and that's Chester Rogers, Ryan Grant, Dontrell Inman, and Zach Paschal. 143 receptions, so about roughly the same as T.Y. and, and Eric Ebron combined. Uh, 1,391 yards, eight, eight touchdowns. So all four of them are free agents, although only uh, Grant and Inman are actually unrestricted free agents. Then there's Deion Kane. Suffered a torn ACL in August, sat out 2018. He has to be factored into the, the Colts offense. But adding another wide out for Andrew Luck, you got to take some pressure off of TY. You had to play through injury. Playing with he, he announced that you know he had you know low and high ankle sprains that he was dealing with on the same ankle. So if you got TY you know out there as a as a vertical threat. I'm looking at, at, at and, and I think Deion Kane's another guy who can run that nine route, but I'm looking at Nikhil Harry, you know, the size, the body control, the ball skills. Yeah, you know, I think he'll translate translate well to the next level. Really kind of that 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 guy who can create that separation late, like I was talking about. I think he and, and Andrew Luck could develop chemistry very quickly. Um, you know, and he could be a favorite target of Andrew Luck's. So Nikhil Harry to the Colts there at number twenty six. Which takes us back to the Raiders at number 27. And, you know, their third and final pick in the first. Um, you know, this was actually procured from from Cowboy from the Cowboys in the Amari Cooper deal. So I think it's either going to upgrade the running game or the passing attack. You know, trading Cooper, that's a huge hole in the passing, passing game opposite Jordy Nelson. Um, you know, Derek Carr's number one target became Jared Cook. He's now a free agent, may not be back. So this is a, a good chance that, hey, you know, Noah Fant, tremendous speed vertically, the leaping ability, you know, really a touchdown machine for Iowa. He's going to be a freak at the combine. Uh, just wait. Um, so I think he'll definitely be in the mix here. If it's if this pick is used on a wideout, you know, the Raiders, you know, John Gruden, hey, get that vertical speed, stretching defenses, getting over the top. Marquise Brown makes a ton of sense. Hakeem Butler makes a lot of sense as well as a number one wideout. Has a lot of those traits. But man, take a look at this running game. You know, the ground game was just, you know, you know, 28th in the league, just 101.8 yards per game. 
And then, you know, the top top three rushers on the team, Doug Martin, Marshawn Lynch, Jalen uh, uh, Richard, all free agents. So right now the top returning running back to this point on the roster is DeAndre Washington, and he just carried the ball 30 times for 115 yards. Josh Jacobs is absolutely the most complete back in the draft, you know, and, and really the only one that's worthy of a first-round pick. I think you, know, you look at the depth at the wideout position, you can get it your number one wide out in round two, you've got the 35th overall pick if you're the Raiders. So you could still go and get that, that number one receiver at number 35. Josh, Josh Jacobs, on the other hand, maybe off the board by the time you end up picking, there could be a team that drafts, you know, drafts up late or trades up late into the, into round one and gets Josh Jacobs. I think this is where the Raiders go with their running back. And then, you know, if, if you've been to the website, you see my mock draft, I've got Hakeem Butler ultimately penciled in there at number 35. The thing that I love about Hakeem Butler, he's 6'6", 215 pounds, and just a vertical threat, over 22 yards per reception. And a lot of people talk about, well, he wasn't really much of a red zone threat, but if you watched him play there at Iowa State, they didn't really, you know, most of his touchdowns were on the vertical variety. And when they got into the red zone, a lot of the red zone was the work of, you know, David Montgomery. When you have a, a, guy, a running back like Montgomery, you can hand the ball off to him three, four, five times, let him pound pound his way into the end zone, and, and be just fine. You know the quarterback play, Brock Purdy, you know, and, and the touch around the around the goal line. I think for them, when you get into the red zone, it could almost be automatic if you turn and hand the ball to Montgomery, who, by the way, I do have going in the second round, um, you know, of uh, of my mock draft. You know, on the website, have him going to Houston. You know, obviously, Lamar Miller um, there. I think he's in the final year of his deal. Alfred Blue, a free agent. So you get some insurance there with uh, David Montgomery there at running back. But Josh Jacobs going number 27 to the Raiders, which takes us to number 28 and the Los Angeles Chargers. One of the most dangerous teams in the NFL in 2018. I mean, a one and two start, and uh, you know the Chargers – just really, you know, ultimately finished the year 12 and 4. Philip Rivers continued his dominant play through the air. Melvin Gordon battled through injuries, but uh, Austin Eckler and and Justin Jackson really filled in and carried the load for him while he was out. You know, the the offensive line did a good job. Um, you know, overall, you know, I'm, you know, you look at it, 31.8% of the passes they gave up pressures though. So, Pro Football Focus noted that that was 19th in the league. And that was their stat. Um, and pro football focus really kind of beat up Sam Tevy. You know, I think you look at that line as a whole, you know, they didn't, they, they weren't bad. You know, I thought they held up okay, but Sam Tevy, um, good run blocker, but struggled in pass protection. Pro football focus noted that uh, Tevy gave up 41 hurries, 12 hits, eight sacks on uh, 483 pass block snaps. Overall pass blocking efficiency was 92.9, which was the third worst in the NFL. Is he the long-term answer at right tackle? Probably not. Maybe they kick him inside to guard. You know, maybe he he's able to be more effective in there, you know, as an interior lineman in the ground game. But look, if Phillip Rivers is going to be playing for any length of time, um, you know, as he approaches 40, you gotta take care of him. Dalton Reisner, I think, you know, he, he was always an efficient right tackle. Pro football focus, loved this guy, um, you know, in terms of the, you know, very few pressures given up. 
And I look at him, he's very versatile, can play inside and out. You know, primarily was right tackle for for Kansas State. And uh, at the Senior Bowl, he really showed up very well. He was someone who I, I think people were, weren't were sure what you were going to see there. Did he have the lateral quickness to be a tackle? Was he going to have to move inside to guard? And I think he showed that he had the lateral quickness, You know, the, the kick slide, the, the, the technique, the hand placement, getting, shooting his hands inside to get his hands you know, right inside on that, that defensive lineman, um, his ability to, to move laterally and, and mirror defenders um, and be a little physical in the ground game as well. Um, to me, I think Dalton Reisner is a guy who can start week one and I think the Chargers taking him there at number 28, yeah, he might be a second-round pick when you look at the grade. But, you know, this is a, a weak offensive line class. So if you can't get your guy in the first couple of rounds, you know, by the time they're drafting in, in the second round, they're not going to get one of those top guys. I think Dalton Reisner makes a ton of sense here. If they do go defensive tackle, you know, Brandon Meebane, Damian Square, Darius Phylon, Isaac Rochelle, look, they're all free agents. Corey LeJet's rehabbing a torn knee that he suffered in November. He may not even be ready to go when the season begins. So Draymond Jones and Jerry Tillery can make an immediate impact up front. You know, And it's one of those things when you look at the defensive tackle position, there, there's a lot of depth at the defensive tackle position. And you know, I think there are free agency options as well. So the Chargers can either wait till the second or third day even to, to get an impact defensive tackle but they, they really can't wait on that offensive tackle. So that's why I think Dalton Reisner is the pick at number 28. Number 29, Kansas City Chiefs. Well, memorable season. Future superstar in Patrick Mahomes. League MVP. You know, all that offensive firepower, firing on all cylinders. Tyreek Hill and... Travis Kelsey, everything that they did offensively was impressive. Um, but defensively, you know, Bob Sutton was, was relieved of, of his duties. Um, you know, Even though the Chargers did get to the quarterback 52 times, um, which tied them for first in the league with the Steelers, their pass defense ranked 31st in the league. Secondary definitely let Casey down in a lot of the shootouts against the Rams in November, and then in the Patriots in that AFC title game. They could not stop... Julian Edelman, Rob Gronkowski, Chris Hogan, and really in that overtime period, they never got a chance to get the ball back to Patrick Mahomes because they couldn't stop Brady to Edelman, Brady to Edelman, Brady to Edelman, over the middle, and then on the outside to Rob Gronkowski. They need to shore up that secondary, and I I think that's something that Steve Spagnuolo, the new defensive coordinator, has to be focusing on. Yes, Steve Spagnuolo is bringing in a 4-3 defense, and they'll have to kind of change some of the personnel up front, you know, especially what to do with D. Ford. But, you know, Kendall Fuller, team's top corner, um, he'll be a free agent in 2020, but he'll be back around for another season. Steven Nelson had a good season opposite Fuller. He's an unrestricted free agent, so what's going to happen there? Um, even if he does come back, you know, the rest of the group is in desperate need of an upgrade. If you get a chance to get DeAndre Baker, a guy could be a lockdown corner, you know, even if, you know, Fuller ultimately walks at the end of the, the 2019 season, you've got yourself a, a potential lockdown corner. You know, the Chiefs desperately need that on the back end of their defense. 
is DeAndre Baker a guy who's going to be around at that point? You know, that's that's really the, the biggest question mark. He's one of those guys, you know, I, I think in terms of technique, may actually be better than Greedy Williams. And I think Byron Murphy of Washington might be the better, you know, um, may have the higher ceiling. But you know, when you when you, when you look at these these guys and you look at where the draft is, there are teams that need corners. The Lions at eight, Denver at ten. You could potentially have Greedy Williams go eight, and uh, DeAndre Baker at ten. You know, Cardinals at sixteen to to Philly at twenty five. You know, you can list a number of teams that need cornerbacks. Is this a really deep draft on corners? Not really. It's not a huge draft on on the corners. Obviously, you know the three that I've mentioned um, are your your top cornerbacks. Um, could they potentially get a guy in round two? Sure, it's possible. So you know, I think Casey has to go with the corner. Maybe they trade up to get a you know to get their their guy. You know, the Chiefs aren't aren't afraid to do that. They traded up to number ten to get Patrick Mahomes just a couple of years ago. Just saying. Um, but if the draft does shake out the way that I have it written, you know, DeAndre Baker has to be the guy, you know, is Daniel Baker, I'm sorry, um, is DeAndre Baker going to be available here? Likely not. Let's see what happens though, with the way that things play out in, uh, in free agency, see what things look like, how things shake out from a, a combine perspective. And I think we'll have more of a better understanding of exactly where these guys are going to go. Um, KC could end up with, with Byron Murphy. You know, there, there are other corners that are out there that they could potentially be looking at, um, you know, in, in round two, you know, Julian Love is a possibility that's sitting out there from Notre Dame. Um, I think he's probably the next best corner after those three, um, you know, Trayvon Mullen is a big bodied cornerback that, that could potentially, um, be an option there for for the Chiefs but you know if they sign Steven Nelson they have Kendall Fuller maybe they end up looking at potentially taking a you know a pass rusher or finding somebody who up front who can help with uh you know that personnel change to the 43 defense but right now I got DeAndre Baker penciled in here 5'11 180 pound uh cornerback out of Georgia and a guy to me could be a lockdown corner in the league. Number 30, the Green Bay Packers. Got that pick from New Orleans. Um, you know, New Orleans traded their 14th pick, or I'm sorry, Green Bay traded the 14th pick to New Orleans for their 2018 and 2019 first round selections. Saints wound up, you know, getting up there to take uh, Marcus Davenport, the defensive end out of UTSA. So, what do the Packers do here with their second first-round pick? Obviously, we talked about safety play. It's been disappointing. Kentrell Bryce um, really struggled. You know, Pro Football Focus noted that look, this guy missed 22. Uh, let's see, 12 of his 57 tackle attempts, and allowed a passer rating of 150.1 on the 29 throws uh, to his direction and coverage. Packers can't get out of this draft without upgrading that position. So DeAndre Thompson, uh, Nasir Adderley, um, I think. That definitely, they'll put the focus there. Again, I talked about why I don't think they're first-round picks, but I've got Nasir Adderley going to them at number 44 overall in the draft. Um, so I, I think they're going to get 
a, a safety to make that pick. I don't think this is going to be used there. So here's the deal. A tight end position, you know, has been an area of frustration for Packer fans for quite some time. Um, you know, Jimmy Graham was brought in, three-year deal, $30 million prior to the 2018 season. He's 32 years of age, uh, didn't make quite the impact that you were expecting. Um, and according to Spot Track, you know, uh, Graham's cap cap hits 12, $12.6 million. Um, if you if he's released this year, they're facing seven point three million in dead cap total. You know, Graham just managed you know two touchdowns a season ago, which is just one year removed from finding the end zone ten times in, in twenty seventeen. Um, you know, even if he finds his stride in twenty nineteen, the Packers need to find their tight end of of the future. And, and Noah Fant, um, with that elite speed, his forty inch vertical leap. And just a nightmare in the red zone. You know, eleven touchdowns as a as a sophomore, and then another seven as a junior. You know, we know that when Philly drafted Dallas Goddard, you know, we saw the, you know what that tight end role uh, plays. So even if you have Jimmy Graham, Dallas Goddard, you know, to to Zach Ertz, you know, Ertz obviously had an insane year. 116 receptions, over 1,000 yards. Dallas Goddard, in his own right, was the fourth leading receiver for the Eagles. 33 passes uh, hauled in, 334 yards, four touchdowns. I can see a similar impact for Fant in Green Bay, ultimately taking over when Jimmy Graham, um, you know, when his contract is up. Number 31 overall, the Los Angeles Rams. So, look. You know, returning to LA, triumphant return, first Super Bowl since 1980. Um, I've been a Ram fan, you know, growing up my whole life. You know, growing up in Southern California, and so it was nice for me to to see the Rams in LA and have that type of success. Rams number two offense. You had Jared Goff spreading the ball around, Todd Gurley dominating on the ground. Sean McVay is going to have some issues here, though, because you've got Andrew Whitworth. Is he coming back? He's 37 years of age. You know, John Sullivan, the center, is starting to get up there. He's 32. They're both entering the final year, years of their deal. Roger Saffold, he's 31 years of age. He's a free agent. Rams can end up looking for their, their replacement. So if Dalton Reisner, Garrett Bradbury are there, they, they have to take some, some focus. Yodney could just out of West Virginia at this point, potentially Elshon Jenkins. They could get some consideration as well. But look, let's not get it twisted. Their, their defense needs to get some some upgrading um, in the middle of that defense. You know, I thought that their biggest weakness was going to be the linebacker play, and I think it really showed um, you know, against some of the high-powered offenses and really in the playoffs and especially against the Patriots. You know, I, I thought that you know, Corey Littleton, he's, he's definitely a, a special teams ace, and... I thought he had a you know made some plays there in the in the Super Bowl, but I thought he was out of position and and really Mark Barron struggling. You know I, I think he since he's transitioned to that inside linebacker position, he's really struggled um, with that role. And they need to get better. They need to patrol the middle of that field. They need a guy with range. They need a guy that under, really understands that inside linebacker position. I'm looking at Devin Bush. If Devin Bush is there. This is a guy who's got tremendous range, a guy who can make plays inside out versus the run, um, and a guy who can drop into coverage. He can blitz the quarterback, makes plays all over the football field. 
Um, if I pull up his stats here, let's just take a look real quick at what you know Devin Bush has been able to do um, in the maze and blue uh, for the Wolverines. 172 tackles in three, really, you know, primarily just the last two seasons. Um, 18 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks in the last two seasons, 11 pass breakups. So a guy did a little bit of everything. He is a little undersized. He's 5'11", uh, 233 pounds. But to me, you need to upgrade that position. And, and at the end of the day, if you don't get Devin Bush, if he's already off the board, if the Steelers take him there uh, at number 20, then uh, I think ultimately Mac Wilson has to be the guy. And I don't think you get out of the first round without taking an inside linebacker. I think you have to do it. Mac Wilson is another one of those those physical athletic guys, very athletic, a guy who can make make plays all over the football field, um, a guy who could be a special teams ace for you as well. Um, Mac Wilson, you know, really first year, you know, as a as a starter, you know, sixty five tackles, four and a half for loss. Um, you know, you really saw him dropping back into play, you know, five pass breakups, a couple of, of interceptions, six total in his career. He had four in a reserve role in 2017. To me, I think he's more of a second round pick is really what that feels. He's more of a day two guy. Devin Bush feels like a first round pick. You got to go there. And I think they potentially go with another, uh, inside linebacker in day two. You know, I think what Les Snead has shown is that he's not afraid to take the same position multiple times in a draft. And uh, I think that's a possibility that you could see happen here. TJ Edwards out of Wisconsin. He's a guy that I could potentially see in the third round, third or fourth round there by the by the, the Rams, and a guy who has starter potential. Keep an eye out for that. Finally, the Patriots. Sitting there, obviously, number 32, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, obviously doing something that is not going to be replicated. I don't care what anyone says. Um, but there are some question marks here on the team. You know, you've got Trey Flowers, defensive end, uh, defensive tackles, Malcolm Brown and Danny Shelton, and then corners, uh, Jason McCourty, Eric Rowe, Jonathan Jones, all free agents. One of those positions has to be an area of focus, right? Uh, defensive end, you got Zach Allen, Charles Amenahu. They seem to be ideal fits in, in New England's style of defense. Defensive tackle, Jerry Tillery is a guy, maybe even Draymond Jones, interior pass rush help up front. Then you look at the corner. Um, if Byron Murphy is still sitting there, they've got a good chance to get a cornerback um, to team with uh, Stephon Gilmore and J.C. Jackson. Look, J.C. Jackson, the way he performed down the stretch, that's not as big of a, a need area for the Patriots, although it would give them a dynamic trio at the cornerback position. But think about this, TB12. You know, yes, you know, we talk about him potentially being the, you know, the goat, the greatest of all time. But he's talking about wanting to play until he's 25. He's going to be 40, 42 years of age at the beginning of the 2019 season. At what point are they going to start grooming his eventual replacement? You know what's going to happen. I mean, in the next couple of years, you're you're going to have to pull the trigger. Right now, only Brian Hoyer is on the roster. Here's something I'm going to throw out. What if they made a play for Daniel Jones, the quarterback out of Duke, 6'5", 220 pounds, at the end of round one? He's a David Cutcliffe's disciple. You know, so from a, from that standpoint, intelligent quarterback, a guy who can make all the you know all the throws, 
um, reminiscent of, of the Mannings with how he processes information. Um, his game, you know, under 60% completion percentage um, in his last year there with Duke. So I think he needs some time to, to kind of develop a little bit as a passer, get rid of some of those issues. But, you know, one of the things that I wrote, you know, you look at what Brady, you know, he could sit behind Brady much like Aaron Rodgers did, from Brett, you know, with Brett Favre. How many years did Aaron Rodgers sit behind Brett Favre? Three. 2005 to 2007, ultimately took over in 2018. So Brady would be the, you know, would be 44 at the start of the 2021 season. So really the timing kind of seems right. And when you think about it, so 2021 season, that would be the third year that Daniel Jones is backing him up. He'd be 45 at the start of the 2022 season. Daniel Jones likely would get, you know, the, the keys to the castle there in, in New England around that time. And I think after 2021, maybe that's when Tom Brady calls it quits. Daniel Jones sitting behind TV 12 ultimately gets all of that development. You saw what happened with Aaron Rodgers sitting behind Aaron, behind Brett Favre for three years and what he's been able to do since then. This could be a nice pairing. Also wouldn't rule out with Gronk likely gone. You know, could this could be his final year, all the injuries and such. You know, a guy who has a Hall of Fame career. You know, acting's calling him. And there's very good chance that you could see Rob Gronkowski retire. Which means Patriots need his replacement. Irv Smith out of Alabama. Wouldn't rule that one out. I think that's a good chance that... Uh, that could very well happen. But, you know, New England does have two picks in round two. I've got them at number 50, what they, number 56, and then again, number 63. I actually have the Patriots pulling the trigger here. Jay Sternberger out of uh, Texas A&M, you know, the, the junior, 6'4", 250 pounds, a receiver who can also block uh, in the running game. Uh, to me, I think he's underrated. Probably my number four tight end. To this point in the draft, I'm looking at that and I'm saying that that makes a ton of sense. You know, um, even if Gronkowski, for whatever reason, decides he has a change of heart and wants to come back, you pair the two of those guys get uh, together, and that's just an, yet another weapon for Tom Brady. Um, something to start watching, you know, just a little bit here as as we get down towards the stretch. So, that's my mock first round. You know, kind of want to give you a little bit of insight into why I've been making the picks that I've been making. Obviously, you know, with a lot that's been going on, I'll probably leave this as my mock draft. You know, I, obviously things could change, but I'm probably going to leave this as the one and only mock draft at this point uh, until we get to the combine. And then after that, I'll be able to start kind of taking a look at things. Where's the value on some of these players? Start looking at expanding my mock draft as well want to get into the third and fourth round really start taking a look at you know end of day two beginning of day three and really see what some of these players are want to also get some of my player evaluations out there onto the website you know a lot of the conversation that we've had i want to go ahead and start putting that on paper a little bit so what to expect from the ready for the draft podcast going forward we've got the combine over 300 players that we're going to be seeing there 
I want to start taking a look at what to expect. Who are the players to look for? Who has the most to gain? Who are some of the guys that are going to surprise? Who are some guys that I'm going to be looking forward to seeing? Maybe some guys that really need to step up at the Combine. We'll be taking a look at that. We'll probably break down a lot of the the different positions and probably spend a couple of, of episodes really breaking down what to expect at the combine. So that's really what I look forward to um, as we lead up to the combine there at the beginning of, uh, of March. So until then, you know, until, uh, until next time, until the next episode next week, I hope everyone enjoys themselves. Everyone has a, a, a great week. Be safe, have fun, and we'll talk soon. For Ready for the Draft, com and this the ready for the draft podcast episode 20 in the books i am greg shoots take care everyone and i am out of here <laughs>